0: Welcome to the fourth episode? Yes, the fourth episode of Beyond Green Podcast. That was REM, fitting title for this episode, and I'm here with Darren Kester of the Green Majority. Yo! And I am House Center of the Green Society Campaign. Today we have a special episode for you, first of I presume many special philosophy episodes for this <laughs> podcast. Many of you who know me
1: uh, personally outside of the radio show are already groaning.
0: Yes, and I'm sure any of you who know me have already turned it off. So. <laughs> but the rest of you who haven't already, we haven't already lost for our Wonderful Philosophy episode. Basically,
1: everyone who doesn't already know us.
0: Exactly, yes. Uh, hello, five people. How are you guys doing? <laughs> to explain partially why we're doing this, first and foremost, is that I really like philosophy. I've got a background in philosophy. I did my undergrad uh, partially in philosophy, and I find it interesting, and uh, Darren does as well. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, usually usually because I get into arguments about philosophy, when drinking at a party, and I thought, mm. let's try having this sober. Oh, there we go.
0: Yeah. We, sh- we should have started drinking, That was our mistake. Uh, yeah, that... Yeah. Anyways, true. next one, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we'll start yelling. Okay, what, but also, the 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 larger reason for this episode is because I came across an article recently, which I absolutely loved, and I really wanted to highlight it, and I wanted to talk to someone about it, and I discovered this podcast is a way to force Darren to talk to me about something, because... Well, we have to do the podcast anyway, so I I have it for now. I've been tricked. Yeah, Exactly. So the article is posted underneath. Uh, it's called "Learning How to Die in the Anthropocene." It's in a part of the New York Times which apparently is devoted towards philosophy. I didn't I didn't know it existed until someone sent me this. So thanks for that. And it's been written by a guy named Roy Scranton. I. Also, interesting enough part of the value I think of this of this section in in our times is it's not well-known philosophy necessarily it's it's random people mm-hmm. and they submit their own sort of pieces of philosophy and the best ones get posted. So it's more it, you get a wider range of people. If the internet has taught me anything is that comments by random people are highly useful and constructive. Exactly, yeah. Actually the first 7 lines of this is calling me Hitler. So <laughs> But after that it gets really into the indie philosophy. <laughs> no actually what's, what I find this, what I find so interesting about this comment first and foremost is it's come from a very interesting point to look at uh, the environment, which is that he, this is a former soldier mm-hmm. uh, and he begins off his post. Um, I'm going to give a quick overview of the post so you don't have to read the whole thing before I understand this. and he begins off his post with a bit about uh, driving into Iraq right, after, right right early on in 2003 invasion. And he said, he, "He his very first line is actually about how it's it felt like driving into the future, which is an odd way to put it, because his next couple lines is about how he's driving through burned out tanks, and basically he's driving through what the wreckage of what is now Baghdad. And he sort of he explains it, it's this, he he calls it a vision of hell in, in the article, and it's really all about how." He sort of sees Baghdad sort of falling apart from what it was before the invasion began. He sort of sees all the people, all the more ordinary middle-of-the-road people being pushed out. He sees the sort of more extreme factions and the fighting factions becoming more and more a bigger part of the issue. And so he spends his entire time there. He sort of does his time. He gets home. And when he gets home, he sort of thinks, okay, now I'm out of war. Now I'm fine. And And then Katrina hits and he sees, he sees everything exact, he sort of relives Baghdad again with Katrina. He sort of sees the same sort of pushing out of the people. He sees the military having to go in to help them. Um, this time the, the enemy is no longer sort of fit humans, but he sees the same sort of chaos rising up. And then, and then he sort of, he says at that point he sort of realizes that as climate change and as, as, as severe weather becomes more and more common, this, you cannot escape this chaos. And that's sort of, that's how he starts this article. And the reason why it's called, the why it's called Learning to Die in the Anthropocene, and the reason why I started with the end of this world as we know it, is because the rest of his bit about the, in this article is all about how, when he, was a, when he was a soldier, one of the ways he coped was by reading a book written by a samurai. Not Sun Tzu's Art of War? It was not Sun Tzu's Art of War. Um, it was an 18th century samurai manual. It was called Hega, Hegakur. I definitely butchered the name of that sentence, so we'll let that one go. And it was written by another name that I'll completely, completely butcher, which is Yamamoto Tsutamo. But anyways, it's a 18th century manual, and the quote that he quotes in this article is, Meditation on inevitable death should be performed daily. So his basic point for the rest of this article is that every single day before he went out to war, he would meditate and sit with himself and convince himself he was already dead, basically. And then he would, which would allow him to sort of go out and do what he thought was needed to be done without worrying too much about the repercussions. Because he was like, you know what, I'm already dead, so I can't worry about myself. I have to go out and make sure the rest of my squad gets home safe. And that's how he sort of, and that's how he went, got through all of his, his tour of Iraq was using this sort of, was using this sort of mindset. And so from there, he goes to the idea that civilization today and the biggest problem, biggest question that we will face in our lives today will be a civilization accepting that we're dead, basically. How will our civilization and we as a, as a species accept, not a species, civilization, because it's not clear and it's interesting. It, you, can't, you, can, you can read this article and think he's saying, don't do anything, but I don't think that's what he actually means. The way I read it is, his. If he very much wants you to do the very, he wants civilization to do a very similar thing, in that it needs to accept that it's dead, as a way to sort of carry forward and realize the sacrifices and the things that need to be done to make sure the most people or your squad get home safe. I think that's sort of the point he's trying to make here. Is he's sort preaching of preaching selflessness. To some extent, yes, but Peselfin is through a, through a concerted effort to philosophically accept your own, your death, basically, or civilization's death.
2: Mm.
0: And, and and in the article, he has a whole bunch of really depressing statistics. And it's interesting because he uses Pentagon stuff and World Bank stuff and a lot of things that that are not, you know, left-wing kind of conspiracy sort of stuff. He uses the kind of predictions that are made by what who he looks to, which is the Pentagon, the military, and the World Bank. And then he also mentions a, a little bit about some studies in Hawaii as well. Uh, and actually, the study in Hawaii, actually I found really interesting. In, in it, apparently, it says that in 2047, we'll already be experiencing globally unprecedented temperatures. So, before I turn 60, I'm 24 now, before I turn 60, we'll be experiencing. And so, basically, when I'm about my parents' age as now, we will be experiencing globally unprecedented temperatures. So, temperatures that we haven't seen on this earth in 3 million years. Which is absolutely astronomical, insane. Incredibly scary stuff. Like, his article can leave you feeling kind of scared, in that, even just for that fact. But mm. what I find so interesting about this is the, kind of, is the thought of how to go into this idea of how do we get people, individual people, to really think about the idea that civilization as we know it is dead and whether that means we'll be in a carbon neutral civilization which will be monumentally different from how we live now or whether that means we'll just go through a basic armageddon and there'll be patches of humanity living in sort of walled enterprises we will not the the world as we know it now will not continue 100 years from now Civilization. So for reference, dead.
1: either see uh, Terminator 3 or
0: Walking Dead? Yes.
1: Somewhere in between, maybe?
0: Yeah. And then 200 years from now, maybe we'll, uh, we'll be looking at uh, you know, Wall-E. <laughs> mm. Oh, forget good. That no, movie was so cute, though. Uh, exactly. So adorable. Ah, yeah. I loved, lots to look forward to that. <laughs> exactly. You know, it definitely wasn't a huge critique of modern capitalism consumption. Anyways. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but so I'm going to throw this to you, Darren, at first, just general thoughts on on the whole article that I just described to you and the idea of civilization as we know it is dead.
1: Uh, a number of things came to mind, one of which would be that uh, I'm, he's, I mean, obviously, I mean, how would he be coming anywhere else? But I was sort of stricken by how relevant his message seems to be framed from within his experience. But I question whether or not soldiers soldiers and i haven't been one so i'm speaking mm-hmm. from the experience of what i surmise to be true a and b i have limited sort of exposure to sort of friends that are in the military but from my admitted limited understanding uh the are basically live in a basically an alternate world right mm. like the, the which is not to say that they're all crazy what i'm saying is that like the military structure doesn't readily apply to daily life. Um, the The way in which you have to sort of view your place in society is different than almost uncategorically any other part of Canadian for this for the extent of this civilization. Um, you're, you're almost removed from regular society to a degree. And, and I think with that comes psychological changes or it
0: selects for certain psychological types of people. I should, as a as a quick aside, I don't want to. Mm. I should mention that he's also currently doing his doctorate for English at Princeton, so he's he's not he's not your typical uh, soldier. Mm. But anyways, but no, but it's just even sort of being part of that gives you a
1: view. Like not even I'm not even talking about sort of career soldiers, but just sort of even be exposed to that world, even for a brief time. There's sort of a concept of you know we're doing this for patriotism and or, or you know protecting fellow people whether it be outright peacekeeping or just you know i'm here to cheer for my team you know screw everybody else with the kind of like america type attitude or whether it be you know pure patriotism or pure just you want to help the world and this is the best way you think you can do that or peace is really important to you and and this is the way in which you want to sort of be a part of that solution or whatever it's just i'm I'm just not sure how well his, what he's trying to say, I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure how well it translates to other people. Mm. Not that the message doesn't work, but I sort of have found myself having to sort of struggle a little bit to sort of see what he, what I think he meant, Mm. which is one thing. That's more of a stylistic point, but the reason I think it was valid, interesting to bring up was that what he was talking about was clearly very true to him and very real and very, visual very Mm. right in his face in the sense that this is a reality and this was how he had to live his life and i don't think you can get people to think about that until they're in that situation Mm. so it's kind of like until there actually is fire in the streets i don't think his message is going to have a lot of resonance even though i agree with his message because of sort of the take he's getting on Mm. it i think he's taking the take of someone who's been in those situations Mm. and if you haven't i'm not certain it translates Mm. At least, at least not cleanly. Uh, that That's my sort of environmentalist criticizing sales pitch hat. My philosophy hat, removing that one, um, is that, I mean, I think he's got it kind of right, I guess, in the sense that, I mean, what I think he means by death is that, it, it, when and what I was saying about sort of uh, promoting selflessness, was that the idea, and at least from, from what I gathered, from what he was saying, was kind of that, you know, you, you sort of have to already accept that you've lost, but that even if you die, you, your death can still mean something in the mm-hmm. sense that you dying could be the best course of action, mm-hmm. right? And that, it, and that you shouldn't worry about your own needs, but if you just sort of share, shed off your own needs and fears and, and whatever, that you can look from sort of a higher plane on what's sort of more useful for everybody. So you may not wish to get shot, but there are many, 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 many people who would line up to get shot to save, say, a president's life or their favorite, you know, band or whatever. I mean, the, the, you can take it from more serious to more silly seeming examples, but I mean, you know, I'm sure there's many people who would you, who would have volunteered to gut in front of the bullet that shot John Lennon and stuff right. like that, right? Like, and and so I think so that sort of that sort of selflessness, I think, sort of does translate. Um, but I just, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm having trouble. Se- I, I feel like I understand what he was saying, but I'm having trouble seeing how other many other people would see it. Hmm. I guess I don't know, and maybe that's a maybe. I I don't even mean that in an in an arrogant I'm smarter than anybody right. sort of way, but it's just like I I I had to sort of like work a little bit, I guess, right. to be
0: clear about it. Right. Well, I uh, should. So so so, well, part of it ha- I'm sure has to do the fact that you actually haven't read the article. No. I just currently explained the article to you right now, and I I may have I'm. Part of, I think, the value of this article is he is actually a very good writer. And he is actually a very good descriptor of sort of the experiences he had in Baghdad and then also seeing it in Katrina and then seeing it in Sandy. And I'm sure if he had written this a week later he could have brought in the Philippines I mean, I mean you might actually he might have actually brought it up I, I but I mean even exactly.
1: even without that though I think I, even what I'm saying about like even just using the language of you have to accept your own death mm-hmm. I don't think he means that like I think it's fairly clear he doesn't mean that literally mm-hmm. and I don't think
0: what he does mean by it is as clear as he thinks it is Well I, I, I should, he never says you have to accept, you have to accept your personal own death he doesn't think that's he doesn't think that's important uh, currently. Like, he thinks in war that's important, and that was a value he found in war. Mm. But he thinks that people should need to accept civilization's death. And, uh, and sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll read his last paragraph, mm. and so it'll sort of bring us back to this sort of thing. Um, it begins with, the choice is a clear one. We can continue acting as if tomorrow will be just like yesterday, growing less and less prepared for each new disaster as it comes, and more and more desperately invested in a life we can't sustain. Or we can learn to see each day as the death of what came before, freeing ourselves to, to deal with whatever problems the present offers without attachment or fear. If we want to learn to live in the Anthropocene, we must first to learn how to die. This is his last paragraph?
1: I, I I I'm still going to sort of double down in the mm. sense that I that I don't think that translates readily right. to to the masses. Right. I, I I don't I don't think you can convince people. To change worldviews. Uh, I mean, mm. there are there are a number of us who sort of already have that generalized worldview that don't. I don't have any particular attachment to the way that things are. I'm mm. sort of one of those people that likes change. I think change is exciting and good, and it's not always positive. Mm. But in the effect that you don't screw up so badly that you run out of chances, mm. a, a.k.a. make a mistake that ends your life. Uh, most mistakes are learning experiences, and so in that sense, as long as you're willing to learn from your mistakes, in that sense, all mistakes can be positive, mm-hmm. and and therefore all change can be positive. Given the right. given the presets, uh, I don't think that value is hard to understand. What I what I do think is I do think that there's sort of a, a global, general public psychosis about daily needs being in front of your face, and I think it's a it's a rich luxury Mm. to be able to have that sort of perspective Mm. i i I don't think there's enough people who aren't desperately trying to get food to their mouths Mm. to try and philosophize with them about the place of culture and society and all those things i I, and that's sort of it's not that i have a problem with this message it's that
0: i i sort of feel i don't feel anyone's going to be convinced by it um first of all i should i should i i feel i necessary to point out that for a philosophy podcast you are refusing to engage in philosophy At least a little bit. You forced me to engage. Well, there's no... Let's pretend for the next 25 minutes of this podcast, which is the end of this podcast, that we don't give a shit about (laughs) whether or not we're going to change anyone's minds. All right. We don't give a shit whether or not we are going to get the polling numbers to change. We don't care about any of this stuff. Because, you know what, 98% of people do not read Kant. This is not a part of most people's conversations. Mm. However, as a quick defense of philosophy, because as a philosophy major, I feel like I need to, it percolates down in ways you don't really realize until you read everything. Mm. And then you're like, whoa, this changed everything. Mm. So for now, for the next 25 minutes, let's pretend, Mm. hypothetically, in a situation, that We're not trying to change those minds. We're only discussing the merit and the interesting effects that actually accepting the death of our culture would have on the world. What would be changed, and partially what makes this article so interesting to me, is comparing the idea of the death of ourselves to the death of our culture, I think, is is very apt. Because I think people struggle all the time accepting their own mortality... And two, people have very... And accepting the end of the culture is sort of basically accepting the end of the world as we know it, which is why he chose the song for today. Mm -hmm. That comparison between those two things is very apt, because both of them are sort of like... It's like the end of your life, or you're the end of your life as you know it, which for all extents and purposes is your life. So... On a completely philosophy sense, if you say the word pole, I'm gonna buzz you out. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. Is, is that? A, I guess I mean. I guess what I was having a little bit of trouble with was 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 just
1: the idea that like for me, I'm I'm having trouble connecting with that image um, because I don't see it as like having started, and so the idea of it dying um, doesn't. The idea I, of what started? Uh, well. Well, for something to to end, it needs a beginning. Right. And so I, I'm having trouble personally visualizing what. The death of society or the death of culture means mm. because I don't have a clear distinction of what the beginning means, and I'm not simply okay. being somatic on the right. sense of me sort of finding a cop out for the question. But I mean, I don't see I, I don't see death or life or beginnings or ends to be a part of culture, and and I guess that's why philosophy it's going to be a. It's going to be dangerous to try and differentiate between this and me semantically trying to get out of it. Right. But I'm having trouble accepting the image, even in a philosophical sense, Mm. because I see our culture as a continuum. Okay. And so for me, the the imagery isn't really working, despite the fact that I like what he's getting at. I like his point, Mm. but I'm having trouble with the imagery because that imagery
0: doesn't really connect for me. I don't see it as... I don't see an easy tangent between culture and individualism. Okay. All right. Well, then let's see if I can I can try to make that connection for you. Dude, that we can get from. So let's say I'm gonna pick a random time when I think our the culture we sort of very much live in today was born, to some extent. And he's sort of, actually in the article he mentions a couple of different times when you could theoretically say the Anthropocene started, uh-huh. uh, which actually is interesting. Is a geological term. We are now actually a part of the Anthropocene, which is a new geological era, which geologists are, like, real academic geologists are considering when it started. That's actually real conversations being happened. Mm -hmm. The question is whether or not it started agriculture, because, as a complete aside to this, the idea of deep time, a quick explanation of deep time, is that instead of thinking of time as sort of what we normally understand human history, you know, it's the fact that Earth has been around for six billion years, something like that. So for geologists, the Anthropocene starting now, in the 1800s, or when we first invented agriculture... Mm-hmm. all are in geological terms basically the same thing mm-hmm. like for us it's crazy that's there's so much change but in geologist terms it's all basically the same so it's actually apparently an interesting conversation going on in geology about when it actually started but that's mm-hmm. a whole different thing so like, modern civilization in that yeah sense. so let me describe what i think the world of, the, of today that needs to die or that is dying or has to die well or just will die basically mm-hmm. in 200 years we will not be able to... Or if we will be, it'll be because we'll have to be so small and we'll be throwing things over our walls. Which is a very possibility in my mind. Like resource wars will become a huge thing if we don't do anything. There's many other reasons about that. But the consumer culture will die, I think. I think the, cons- the idea of a con- producer and a consumer in the way that we understand that today and the idea of, a f- of, of the way the economy works today in a very much top-down approach... And no sharing amongst people. Sort of you buy stuff and then you throw it out. That whole thing, which I think was sort of more so in the fifties. All of that along with the way energy works to make that work. Mm. Cause this, that sort of, that sort of system only works with abundant cheap energy. Uh, because you cannot ship like fruit and oranges from Florida to Toronto to sell unless energy is that cheap. I would say what needs to die and what he refer- referenced to is when he says civilization is dead as we know it, it is the idea of the, it's a society we built on abundant cheap energy and a top-down consumer producer approach. Mm. Those are the two things that are hallmarks of our society today and the, the two things that cannot continue and have to die for us to con- to sustain ourselves. Uh,
1: the, I, I think, yeah, I think death, in a sense, I mean, we, we, in our inner human culture, obviously the idea is, is is parents raising children, and and I think where a lot of the disconnect, when it having to do with with death, and part of the idea that death as being as part of rebirth is sort mm. of a, a metaphor in literature as well as literally, um, is very much as I think that we're we're sort of missing the parents, I guess, in a way from the story, mm. uh, in the sense that there is there is no sort of clear next step. Uh, and I guess that's what sort of concerns me, if we want to bring it to sort of personal philosophy mm-hmm. a little bit, about it's it's if it was just a matter of sort of getting the right people into, like, a, you know, voting for the right people or buying this product as opposed to that product. But, we, you know, we're struggling as a society to, to even to what choices are there. And I think sort of, I mean, that's where, where I was sort of towing into the line about, well, you know, People are so busy doing this thing; they don't have time to think about it. Which seemed like a cop out, but it, it, the reason it's it, it isn't really, or I submit that it's not, hmm. um, is that we're it's it's sort of like we're we're driving our I mean it's the thing we keep using on the show where it's like we're driving our own car into the ditch, mm-hmm. and and I'm not sure. And I guess this is what concerns me. I'm I'm no, it's not about I'm not sure what the next sort of world is going to look like, and I have a preference about what that is. It's, I'm concerned there's going to be a, a, a next, a rebirth mm. at all. Um, and, and sort of that's what concerns me. Mm. I, I have personally no particular attachment to the way that things are done, more so than most people I meet. Uh, I'm, I'm far more flexible about living in a completely different society and a completely different planet at the flip of a hat. Mm. Okay, these are the new rules. Great. Uh, but I just, that, I think that's what really sort of comes down to about where my interest in this topic is, is that. I, I sort of see this as, you know, we're we're going to have a rebirth. Uh, there's going to be a death soon. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get back up. Right. And, and I think, so for me, it's really, it's on the level of an existential crisis. That's yeah. That
0: I think you're hitting the nail on the head of what he's actually really going for here. Part of his point here is that he wants people to really have the thought you just had. That kind of shock to their system of like, I don't, I don't know what else is going to happen. I don't I don't even know if we're going to get back up. That idea of, I don't know if we're going to get back up. And thinking about that is, and I think in part of his point is, once you accept that thought, then giving away some of the stuff that you are now sort of take for granted, like cheap cars, or, you know, $2 drinks of Coke, or, you know, $1.99 burger, these kind of things are no longer important. Once you accept, once you accept that your own the death of of everything as a as a possibility or a likelihood or even inevitability, then moving forward is less scary
1: mm. because there is
0: no other option. Well, I think this brings this brings back to what I think was our
1: first um, our first podcast where I was sort of getting at where I was getting at about the maybe it is time to panic, people, and mm. and your response was with uh, sort of lines about, well, I've never been really much of a, pa- uh, a, a, panic a, a guy. fan of panic. yeah. But like, well, what the fuck else response <laughs> is there? Like, we're, we're, we're you know, we're seriously discussing sort of the end of life. And as we know it is, like, I don't even mean that as a cliche. I yeah. mean, like, as we know it is in, like, no humans. Right. Potentially no life. Potentially dead planet. You know, anyone looked at Mars recently. Yeah. Um, is that, is, is that, I say, well, it's... We're already kind of living as if we're dead. Mm. Like, it's, it's, I'm not sure it's much of a stretch. Right. <laughs> to the extent, I mean, we are and when, when the comment is, well, I don't want to, I don't want to panic people. Well, because then what? Right. What would they do? Right. What, what possible negative repercussion could mm. panic add to this? <laughs> I mean, pan, what, people are going to panic and so they drive more? Right. I don't see, I mean, other than the fact that it might upset people, I don't really see any negative. I don't see any extra negative mm-hmm. coming out of panicking people, which is why I'm sort of totally fine with panicking right. people because at least they're fucking doing something. Right. I at least they respond at all. I mean, it's <laughs> like electroding. It's like electroshock. I'm being completely serious. It's like right. electroshock therapy for someone who has uh, major mental health issues. Right. It's not really a good idea to taser people, but it and maybe it's never good, right. but it does get a response, mm. and we need a response. Mm. At this point, I'm, I'm literally, you know, Two months away from from like taking my clothes off and running naked <laughs> down Young Street just to get people's attention with we're all gonna fucking die painted on my chest and they won't realize that it's actually based on fucking ICCC reports <laughs> and not some vision I had well on methamphetamine the night right. before like it's 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 kind of like well, what else what could possibly go worse Right.
0: yeah <laughs> uh, and I I I'm a hundred percent supportive of that idea I should clarify that when I oppose the idea of terrifying people or of panic people it was much more to me how you do it for me i want to panic people but i don't want to yell at them that they should be scared because i think there's a, and i think there's a dramatic difference in those two things which is what i think panic makes... people that do it in a very calm voice and that's what i like so much about this article is that it's not the kind of classic shouting at you it's a very calm sort of and this is an important thing we have to think about. And he sort of just leaves you there. And then, and the longer you think about it, the more you're sort of like, shit, and like, I got sent this, I didn't find it myself, by someone who's not necessarily, like, her thing is not the environment. And she said to me because like she was like, oh, you, you're someone who I understand knows the environment, I want your opinion on this. Mm. And it shocked her. And she really wanted my opinion because she was like, I don't know what to do with this information. Like, <laughs> I, I know he's right about this stuff, and I don't know how to respond in this sort of way. And I think that's sort of part of the value of this article is that it's, it's not just throwing a bunch of numbers at you that you don't know what to do with. It's giving you this sort of deeper thought process into the whole thing. And I think that's part of the value of, of philosophy in general is, mm. you know, everyone always asks, why are we here, blah, 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 uh, in their own head, and they, never, they sort of tune out at some point. Um, in case anyone's wondering, I have the answer tattooed on my arm. Well, there we go. You you'll can't just, you'll see just have it, to it's wait. a podcast. I know, that's. <laughs>
1: it's bait, it's link bait. Now we're going to go check the About Us page. Alright, there you go, yeah, check out his arm, you'll find out the answer.
0: And actually, well, we're going to delve into that, now, maybe our next philosophic jump, we'll jump into the value of life in in general. The I had an here. idea, though, while you were saying that, yeah. though,
1: which is that you are saying we need to panic people, but in a calm and soothing voice, so mm. can we hire James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman to Ooh.
0: do the voices for our next podcast? There we go, yeah. call Freeman, by the way. Okay. Damn it. (laughs) You get to be Darth Vader. I would just rather be Morgan Freeman. Well, everyone would rather be Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Like, they've done studies. Morgan Freeman's voice is, like, the most trusted thing in the world. It's crazy. And the the biggest sellout I've seen him do is cars. I'm surprised they don't have him doing political commercials. (laughs) Anyway. But I think part of the value of, of engaging in these kinds of conversations is that instead of telling people how they should think, instead of directly approaching it being like, here's all the statistical analyses that I've done, and here's the ways we're fucked, it's let's think about the implications more on a on a level that isn't as, that isn't as threatening, but then you think about it longer, and you sort of hit that moment that you had earlier, where you're like, what the fuck is supposed to do? Like, I don't really, like, at some point you have to be, you have to get to the point where... The reason why, we've mentioned this multiple times in the past on this on this podcast, but the reason why every single environmentalist we've met, who's been a serious environmentalist, has had this moment where they're like, Wait, I'm not doing anything unless I'm talking about climate change is because of the true nature of how awful it is. Mm. And the idea like just the idea that to quickly mention so Bora Berman, which at least gets us to bring back into the Beyond Green podcast. Ah, uh-huh, there it is. We had some tie-in this week when she mentioned the fact that she spent 18 years fighting to save these trees, and then after succeeding in all these different ways and actually doing a tremendous job, climate change fucked it all up by ruining the fact that there's no more frost every winter and allowing these beetles, pine beetles... To destroy like twenty, what I think it was 40 percent of the of the forest she just protected. Some ungodly hundred million hectare. Yeah, yeah number. it's a huge, huge amount, and they're moving. Right, they're moving. It's moving east. They've been found in near Toronto. It's they're gonna destroy a lot of our a lot of our trees. You can't talk about the apocalypse without getting into philosophy. I think. So I think approaching climate change from a philosophical angle allows you to deal with the apocalyptic language without sounding like the crazy guy running down the street. Because <laughs> people have talked about the apocalypse in philosophy, and they've come and they've gone in different ways, and they've done a bunch of different things about it, and sort of evolved and flown, but I think because, what philosophy allows you to do is to speak about the true nature of the issue without sounding like an absolute insane person, because it's, philosophy has the language to speak about it. So I think that's part of the value of talking about philosophy in this nature and in his zone. In in I wish more environmental ethics courses went into this kind of stuff than what they do. I've taken a bunch of environmental ethics courses, and these are not the issues they talk about. Mm-hmm. The issues they talk about are animal rights. Do trees have standing is one of the more famous books. And I kind of want to talk about the human environmental ethics. I want to talk about the idea of talking about what is expected of humanity within this idea of what we're marching towards is a philosophical conversation to have. And it's one that everyone should... It's a conversation that people should be having more often. Mm. Well, I think, I
1: mean, one of the things that almost never even gets mentioned because it's such an assumed preset Mm. is... I mean, the idea of, and again, here I'm using sort of gender-specific language, but for a particular reason, which is the innate existence of man. Right. Uh, I mean... The fact that we're a preset, I mean, and there there has been no time on human, obviously, it's a tautology, but yeah. there has been no time in recorded history where there's been no humans. <laughs> Enter the tautology. Right. But the whole, th- that's incredibly relevant. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly relevant because we don't have any concept of what it's like for us not to be here. Yeah. It's not even on our radar. Mm. And so I think that anytime if someone even brings that up, it's almost by definition fantasy because we've mm. never had that experience we've never experienced non-existence yeah and and so it, we don't have a place in the mind for it I mean it's it's and it's one of those things where it just like I, it's like well that's not important it doesn't it doesn't affect me within the time scale that I'm prepared to think about mm. as far as they think and I don't have anything to compare it to like there's no reference area in the brain for that so unless you've sort of studied philosophy, mm. It doesn't even make sense at, at a basic level, even considering that. I mean, right. people literally just brush it off, mm. and we—I w- hate to break it to you—in <laughs> yeah. my opinion, at least, we 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 aren't we don't have an inherent value in the sense that nature goes on without us. Yeah. Sorry to break it to you. Yeah. I know we have a huge ego about that, <laughs> but I don't think it's true. And, and the thing is, there are many, many people that do, mm. and I think they're fucking dangerous. <laughs> Uh, which is where we're dangerously close to, but I'm not going to take the, my own bait and get into religion, right. but that's actually a separate podcast, which I plan on doing on, on the radio mm-hmm. show is actually have someone to come on and talk about some of the uh, religious extremists with reference to the environment mm-hmm. where they have a very hardline view that you know all of existence was put here for us to consume, and it's actually an insult, right. insult to God. It's a sin not to mine oil and dig wells and right. do all those things. And I think, I mean that's what we have to take into context when we're talking about philosophy. Was that unfortunately, and I, and I don't think that it's necessarily true. I think that some sort of acid, some views of the world can be demonstrably more true than others. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a kind of buffet of of selection of choice of beliefs. But we have to take into account that we're not deal, we're not even dealing from the same deck as to some mm-hmm. of the other people that we're talking to. So one of the reasons I don't like answering the question well why do you do what you do well because they're not going to really like my answer my answer is i'm pretty sure that we're already fucked mm. that's always been my answer how yeah. bad do you think it is oh we're pretty fucked and they laugh and they're like no i'm serious yeah we're pretty fucked yeah um and so the next question which i can always see on their faces which no one really asks me generally but i can see that they serve the next logical question is so why do you do it yeah and it's and it's because it's It's something exciting to work on. It's something that's important, but I don't have any delusions about my success. I I don't have any delusion that I'm going to be successful. I just sort of want to be on record for myself Mm. to say that I was
0: on the right side of trying. Yeah, and I think what I love about what you just said is that it gives me the absolute perfect segue to wrap up the show. Uh, Nailed it. Because I think what you just described is quite literally i think the entire point of the article we were discussing Mm -hmm. which is that when you said that humanity as a species does not remember its past or before it existed is very much how every single person is living and you and i and many many other environmentalists do very much think we're already fucked but every single day we wake up we accept that civilization as we know it is dead, and we go out there and try to save as many of other people as we can. And I think that's exactly what he's getting at, that mindset of accepting that base level that where we live now is over, and all we can do is be on the right side of it and try to do the best we can and to save as many people as we can. What what I love about the environmental movement is that at base is sort of where we're all not all coming from, but where many of us are coming from, and the people I meet who I find most interesting, that's where we're coming from. And um, this
1: and this is a joke, but the other reason to do it is that I think at some point the other shoe is going to drop, yeah. and and the entire world is going to look like Afghanistan currently looks thanks yeah. to the U.S. military, <laughs> and. Um, and then all of a sudden, environmentalists are going to be really in demand, and we're all going to actually be very, very well paid. <laughs> yeah, we, we hope so. One day.
0: One, one day. day. Come on, money.
1: <laughs> come uh, on, apocalypse. <laughs> uh, come on, almost, but not quite, apocalypse. Yes, exactly. So we're yeah. very
0: well employed. And yeah, exactly. So we, we will be <laughs> the other ones with jobs. Um, <laughs> please comment about any thoughts you have on this one, and more specifically... Uh, if you have, we're going to go back to our more normal next week. We're going to go back to sort of more specific issues about different environmental things. We're going to try to get a guest on next week. We'll find out who it is soon. But if you comment, as I said, the last one, we'll put it again under this one. If you remember from Beyond Green, one of the groups that you really, really liked and thought they were talking about something interesting, we will go out and try to get them on this show. And the environmental Moon is very nice usually. We can probably get them. So let us know who you want to hear about and we'll do our best. Absolutely, and uh, just uh, once again, uh, of course, that
1: we're mostly interested in any sort of feedback. Yes. Uh, So really, just send us anything at all, and and we'll respond to it. And and even if you just rather would like to have a comment and don't want us to read our or anything uh, to let people know that they're there. But yes, as interactive as possible, please do. If you yourself think that you have
0: some really cool things to say, there's a chance we would consider it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if you want to come on, we'll probably say yes, unless you're insane, and then no. But we'll figure it out later. Uh, considering we're both insane anyways. And now time for my favorite song. Yes, exactly. Enjoy R.E.N. to play us out.
2: Flash and burn return, listen to yourself turn, talking in uniform and football.